What time is it? 8 30. <laughs> Welcome to episode two of the Livingston Experience, and we're looking back this week on week one of the NBA season, but I'm going to welcome first my co-host for this week and every week, Darren Hill. Darren, how is your Christmas and uh, not quite New Year's yet, but uh, how's your break been so far? Absolutely cracking, Daz. You know, it's been pouring down rain, and we're on. I'm on leave, as most people are, off work, and uh, as bizarre and as frenetic and as oftentimes uncomfortable the COVID NBA season has felt. Um, I've been soaking up a ton of action, Daz. Like, I, no word of a lie, I think I watched 11 hours of basketball on Boxing Day. So, um, yeah, pretty good, Daz. My head's spinning, but I've, it's been fun. Well, we're going to start this week, and we're going to start every week now with our Livingston moments of the week. But I'm going to give you share a bit of a story from Cliff Livingston's career, Daz, with you as to why we, we chose this sort of as the moment to start the pod. But the first question we've had now is, were you a Larry Bird guy or a Magic Johnson guy back in the 80s growing up watching the NBA? I was a Marcus Johnson guy, right? So I was always kind of the, you know, always the third or fourth best team, right? So the Bucks could never quite get over the hump. Um, but uh, but so when I when I let myself kind of get over the, you know, the agony of the Bucks getting eliminated again. I was definitely Showtime Lakers, probably just because we couldn't get past the Celtics so many years. So I would, I would, um, I was Showtime Lakers over the Celtics. Do you remember the Bucks uh, sweeping the Celtics in '83? Were you old enough to remember that? '84. Uh, it was '83. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I had a couple heartbreaking years before that. We had really good teams in the early '80s with Marcus and um, Junior Bridgman and. Bob Lanier and the rest of them. So absolutely, it was a, it was a sweep. It was cathartic. I do recall it. They had some injuries. Um, I don't think they were at full strength, but no one no one cared. But we then proceeded to get absolutely walloped by um, the Sixers and, and Doctor. Well, yeah, the only yeah Jones. the only team to take a game off the Sixers uh, in that in that playoff series. But uh, I, there is one of those games on the Hardwood Classics, which is uh, obviously a close game. Um, and you'll get a bit of an appreciation, I guess, for just how good that Bucks team was, but how historically great that that Philly team was. Uh, so it was it was the story of the Bucks '80s, wasn't it, that they always sort of ran into one team a bit better. Yeah, I guess there there are probably a number of teams like that, right? You know, Charles Barkley's teams were like that. You know, the you know Utah Jazz in the era of Jordan, but the Bucks, yeah, had like um, they were a very very good team, very balanced team, um, played defense, could rebound had plenty of shooting, had plenty of all defensive players with, with Sid Moncrief and Paul Pressey. So I, I grew up hating, I hate, hated Boston most just because he resented the, you know, the, the team he just couldn't usually had to go through. And um, as it is today, just as it was in 1983, right. Nationally televised games were, you know, almost always, you know, Lakers, Celtics, Sixers were, were by far the three biggest and most prominent teams. And so, not a lot of love in the middle of the of the country for the Bucks back then, Daz. But what was the question without no? Well, so the reason I bring that up is because Larry Bird and and Cliff Livingston are, are, are sort of forever uh, intertwined in NBA law because of the infamous Larry Bird sixty point game at the Boston Garden. So that happened in nine eighty five, and there's an oral history to it from the Boston uh, the Boston Herald, I think it is, uh, and. I sent it to you, and it's it's worthwhile actually googling it and having a read of it because it's a it's a wonderful story. It gives you an appreciation for just how good Larry Bird was uh, back in the mid '80s, and the story behind it was Kevin McHale had scored 57 two two games earlier, and Larry Bird just could not live with that. So he's like, I have to break the Boston scoring record, which of course was 57 that McHale put up. So he said before the game, I'm going to go for 70 tonight, right, and then. As the game goes on, he's just hitting shots. You know, every shot he put up, he's hitting. He gets to, there's 43 seconds left. He's got 54 points at this point, right? So he knows he needs another. Oh, I know exactly what you're going to say. I know the shot. The, yeah. It was almost so he, like the Dirk one-legged flick yeah. from the right-hand corner falling out of bounds. Yeah, it was half so Dirk, half Kawhi. 
Well, yeah. and not only that, he's talking trash now to the Hawks, right? So he mm. comes down the he comes down the court and he's <laughs> telling the Hawks, "This is where I'm going to hit the shot from," right? So he comes down as he's got fifty oh. points, and he oh. says, and he says to the Hawks bench, he goes in the trainer's lap, he says, right? And then he says, "Who got who's got me?" And one of the Hawks, that might have been Eddie Johnson, comes out to uh, to guard him. Fouls him before he can get the shot up. Yeah. Right. But he still goes back into the shot, falling out of bounds, landing in the trainer's lap and hits the shot, right? And it then didn't who's... Count. Yeah. Didn't count, but who's sitting on the end of the Hawks bench? Freaking Levinson. Cliff Levingston. Gets <laughs> up. He's high-fiving guys. He's waving the towel, right? And, of course, he ends up hitting hitting through throws. He gets ends up getting the 70 points, another three-pointer after that that he hit. And then after the game, Mike Fratello, who was the Hawks coach, they're sitting back watching the game film, and he sees, of course, Cliff Livingston cheering on the Celtics like he's a member of the Celtics team uh, when he when he was on the end of the bench. So Mike Fratello called him out in front of the team and gave him a five hundred dollar fine. But when asked about it later on, Cliff Livingston said, "I would have paid five hundred dollars for that court." So- <laughs> I'd see it any day of the week. So he said, he I just owned it. He owned it. <laughs> so that was the great, that was always a great story that I remember from Cliff Livingston. It sort of sums up what we're going to talk, call the Livingston moment each week. Like, what was the moment, Daz, for you in week one where you're off the couch, waving the towel, and, and really excited about what you're seeing in the NBA? It's going to be obscure, and it's, this wouldn't make any, any highlight reel, Daz, but it was was one of the early games, and I can't even remember who it was. Obviously, I'll tell you who the highlight was. Memphis versus somebody. So it's one of the early games, and it was the, the first quarter just tipped off, and I'm sitting down with my cup of coffee and, you know, whatever, my, my toast. I'm settling in, right, for a, you know, uh, for a morning of a morning of basketball. And like I see, I know it's a bit frisky. I got myself to thinking, oh, Memphis is missing, you know, missing, uh, you know, Triple J. And, you know, Brandon Clark's off to a bit of a rough start. I'm like, oh, God, I've almost forgotten about Valanchunas. And I, I'm sitting there to myself thinking, you know, you know, what's this, you know, rigid Timothy Mozgov-like dinosaur? Like, wh- why is he even starting? Like, what is, what's Taylor Jenkins seeing in him? So I'm like, kind of the back of my mind wondering, wow, how does he even earning, earning his minutes? And second or third trip down the floor, Daz, um, Jonas, um, you know, is trailing on like a sort of a semi break and he, he gets, he catches the ball, you know, at the top of the break, you know, 30 feet away and he goes and he, he pump fakes and, and the guy jumps at him. And he, so he does a, a he does Jonas Valanciunas does a, he does a show and go, he pump fakes, goes down the lane and, and just almost Giannis like gracefully kind of finger rolls it. And I'm like, if that wasn't a sign of the times, that and just is perfect and made the game five to four. And so it was watching Jonas Valanciunas in the first quarter of a game doing a show and go from 30 feet. And um, I go, if that's not a sign of the times of where the NBA is at, right? Even Jonas Valanciunas needs to be a threat. And um, and then even right, the next layer of that coaching of this guy does not belong anywhere near outside the paint, but here he is outside the three-point line. No question he's been working on that in practice right so you got the most classic interior paint guys uh no doubt working on their show and go game and um that for me was the highlight i'm like there you go valentunas man take him to the rack well my highlight was really from uh the denver sacramento games and they played each other twice in the first four games of the season and denver surprisingly have started one and three and sacramento three and one and Sacramento have won both games. The first on a ridiculous couple of last couple of possessions where Denver just completely imploded. But credit to the Kings that they got the job done. And Harrison Barnes went up for a showtime dunk and missed it. And then Buddy Hill coming through and put in the follow-up and then did what Buddy does and run straight back into the locker room as he's celebrating. And then a, a really... You know, high quality game today 
because the quality of the games, old fans, has been a bit hit and miss, which you expect in the first week of the season. Mm. But I thought today's game, there were some real moments, like, you know, Michael Porter Jr. had it going, some beautiful assists from uh, from Jokic, even though he had a quadruple double with 10 turnovers at the end of it. But you know this, Daz, I was up waving the flag for my favourite rookie, the guy that I've adopted already mm. in this season, Tyrese Halliburton who I had a sneaky bet on uh, during the game today, 15-1, to one, the win rookie of the year as well, by the way. But he comes in, scores eight points, five assists in the last, and a, and a couple of steals in the last quarter. And I sort of felt it, it was a weird lineup that Luke Walton went with in the last quarter. He had Corey Joseph, Darren Fox, Halliburton, along with Berlitzer and uh, Rashawn Holmes. And it worked. You know, and it got them right back into the game, albeit against against Denver's bench. And then Jokic looked gassed when he came back in, and they held on uh, for what was in the end a bit of a comfortable win. But I, I was, did you catch any of Halliburton today? Because I'll tell you what, he passes every eye test for me uh, from a rookie coming into this this season. I did. So I've seen that um, Sacramento's on my high on my Livingston list this week, as I saw. I saw them beat Denver today, and I saw them beat Phoenix uh, earlier in the week in another high-quality game. Another team probably deserves some Livingston time, but um, Halliburton didn't jump out at me at the Phoenix game, um, but he absolutely jumped off the page today against Denver and playing crunch time. And uh, I don't know what uh, what Kevin O'Connor had put in his in his uh, draft notes, you know, how he likes to do <laughs> the comments of shades of, right? I don't remember who it was, but I go, Halliburton, I don't know, Daz, he's got shades of George Hill, shades of Manu Ginobili, shades of Andre Miller. He's this long, smart, really controlled player who's um, kind of definitely going to be a two-way player, isn't he? He's going to mm. defend, he's going to jump passing lanes, He's got a little bit of that Drew holiday in him where he kind of just has this really unique way of controlling the tempo of a possession, which are things you just don't describe 20-year-old point guards as. So he jumped off the page today. Not And then, oh, by the way, the mechanics are a bit funky, but he drilled, he drilled a shot. This is deep into crunch time. Basically, the shot that was the dagger, he drilled like a 28, 29-foot, three-pointer um cold-blooded i think took a i think a six-point game at that, that point in in the balance and pretty much put it on reach with that shot so absolutely um i'll be the caboose on your train and your bandwagon uh for for him getting some um getting some love this year and good well, on he's, Sacramento, yeah. he's yeah. just one of those guys that's never far for, he, he, he's never out of the game like even if it's De'Aaron fox bringing the ball up you know, he he finds a way to inject himself into the game. And I think that's where he reminds me of Manu a little bit, where Manu was always sort of going to contribute one way or another uh, while he was out in the court. So I really liked what I saw today. I've liked what I've seen so far. Even in this, you know, he hasn't been putting up big numbers, but when he comes on, you know, some of these guys, like when Lamelo Ball comes out for Shaw at the moment, you can tell he's a rookie. Like, he's as raw as, whereas this guy's much more NBA-ready. Uh, when he hits the court, so looking yes. like a looking like a good uh, a, go, a good investment thus far uh, for the for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, and and again, more Livingston sort of language is there is I would be hard pressed right to um, think of a fan base who more deserves you know a, a team right that gets a bit lucky and hits on a couple young players and. And gets a team that's in the playoffs again. I don't know about you, Daz, but I have some of my most, my fondest, you know, non-Bucks and my second favorite team, non-Phoenix Suns memories are that that early 2000s Sacramento team. Like, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a team I enjoyed more than Vlade and Chris Webber and P.S. Stoyakovich and the just the way Arco Arena was absolutely felt like the most difficult place in the league to play. And they've suffered a lot, obviously, through the Vlade the GM era. And so, uh, man, and, and, and they're never going to live down. I think Bagley over Luca. I think that's the one they're going to have to just suck up, you know, and Odin, Odin over Durant, Tony Mandrich over Barry Sanders. You know, we, a lot of franchises have that moment, but uh, nothing would give, I think, 
uh, should give a fan base more hope than a than a Halliburton. If he can help, if he can kind of elevate his game, it might take the sting away from you know some of the misses they've had in recent years. So massive, massive fan of what mm. he's doing. Yeah. I'll oh, just quickly on that. I'll defend them on Bagley. I have a Doncic for the point of view of Bagley wanted to be there and Doncic didn't, and I think they they saw straight away. You know we could have an issue very quickly with this guy uh, wanting out of Sacramento. So I think they, they went with, the, they pro- had they yeah. realised the difference in talent, I think they would have taken the chance on Doncic anyway. But I think at, at the time, I think it was much more defensible for them than some of the other teams that passed yeah. him around there. Another team that passed him was the Phoenix Suns, Daz, but they might not be feeling so bad about that themselves because Aiton started yeah. the season yeah. quite well. But what I want to focus on, Daz, for the Phoenix Suns is their bench. They're, they're winning games from their bench players. Guys like Campaign, who's been a laughing stock. I know we've, we've made a few cracks at Campaign over the years. Does he looks like an NBA player now? And we know Sarich is good. We mentioned Cam Johnson last week on the podcast. Like, this is a bench that, and it happened again today, where they came on in what was a close game and turned it into an absolute laugher against uh, the Pels once once both teams went to their bench. So what what have you made of the Suns so far overall? And, and do you agree with me that the bench has sort of jumped out to you as, as something to be uh, to be admired, admired there in Phoenix? Yeah, so the bench has definitely jumped out. That, that probably wasn't the first thing, though, right? The first thing for me is remember my favourite duo as I was looking at in, in the league <clears throat> coming in was CP3. And Aiton, and and so that's what's jumped off the page to me is Aiton's Aiton's changing. He's changing because he has to change. He is turning less into that high usage, you know, high usage, low leverage game, low leverage type of game. You know, the last couple of years where he, he definitely wasn't playing for anything. Right? He's just playing to develop and you know, just just running up and down the court as so many of the Phoenix Suns of Suns teams have done over the years, but you can feel there's a stakes. There's stakes now, right? With Chris Paul on the floor. And so if you had a quick look, it's only four game sample set, Daz, but you see his usage is way down. His shot attempts are way down. I'm talking DeAndre Ayton here, right? Mm. But his, his rebounding is up. His defensive awareness is up. He is becoming, he plays a little bit like the Steven Adams type role in OKC, right? elite sort of screen setter and really picks his moments where he can, he can dive. But what he does, what he, what he obviously has that Steve Evans never will have is that, that beautiful, beautiful touch. So he can still trail and, you know, kind of uh, hit some shots on the secondary break and do some stuff. So that's, what's jumping out at me Daz back kind of linking it back here to, you know, to, to Luca, to Bagley and to Aiton into your question. That's what's jumped out at me is just the, uh, I think you're right. I, I think Phoenix will be okay with this. So the signals are strong that this kid is, he's learning the game and he's going to perhaps play differently with CP3 and again, early returns are, are positive. That's part one. Similarly, Booker as well, right? This is, this is Chris Paul's team, right? Not that we didn't think it would be anything other than that. But, you know, if you think about how Phoenix played last year, which is very loose, very fast, you know, lots of turnovers, lots of bad decision-making, low IQ, just kind of they'd win games off the, you know, Booker's greatness and that sort of thing. But um, so this is definitely CP's, CP's team. And so they're just playing much more controlled. And the other thing, the second one probably to jump off to me is have a look at Mikal Bridges. So the way you fall in love with Halliburton, who's from Wisconsin, by the way, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, Mikal Bridges is turning into – He's turning into a player. He's turning into this really interesting three and D deluxe kind of guy where you can almost see shades of shades of young Jalen Brown in there where it's rugged defensively. He's got this length and uh, again, his pedigree in college will serve him well. It's just a heady player and you can see him, you know, taking a, uh, taking up a wing spot there and filling a wing gap that the, that the sons have had a gap for years. Right. Um, they thought they had it filled with the with Josh Jackson, and that that certainly didn't come to pass. So, so yes, mm-hmm. campaign has looked good. Campaign, who what <laughs> was he backing up? Kirk Heinrich, who was backing up Chris Dunn, who was <laughs> who was backing up? I don't know Marquise Daniels or whoever the 
the top six point guards were in Chicago that season. They're behind Rondo. So campaign absolutely was buried. And, and, and so it's nice to see guys go to the G league and, and get some stuff figured out. But um, Phoenix is impressed. Phoenix is impressed. Well, a couple of points on Phoenix. So it's, it's, it was interesting. They played the pills today because Phoenix to me are a team that makes sense. Like all the pieces fit. You can Finally. see what the plan yeah. is. You can see what they're trying to do. Like, I think they're going to live and die by whether they make shots. And I mean, I think you can say that at almost any team in the league. But they play the right way and they're going to give themselves a chance to win every game if the open shots go down from the likes of Cam Johnson and Cam Payne and hit some shots off the bench, etc. Right. That's probably going to be the difference between success and failure to some extent for this team. Whereas I look at the Pels and, and the Pels to me don't make a lot of sense the way they're constructed right at the moment now the other point i'd make about mccall bridges wouldn't he fit on the philadelphia 76ers well right now and it goes to show the the lack of patience that that franchise had in trying to put together this team and didn't have the foresight to hang on to a guy like bridges who i think would be a perfect fit probably a much better fit there than what uh, tobias harris is to some extent although obviously harris a better player at this stage in his career that tr- did that pick come from Philly? Is that where that? Mm. Yeah, yeah, God, he's a Philly kid. About... Bridges is a Philly kid, so he well, was really he was excited. A, he was a Philly kid in Villanova, to be, but... to be uh, drafted by um, the Sixers. So he is, did he end up? I'm sorry, I've, I've, I've you've you've stumped me on this one. Didn't all those picks go to the Clippers? How did that pick end up in in Phoenix's hands? I guess that's what I'm. What what. Well, they traded, they traded Bridges oh, to the Phoenix Suns for Zaire Smith, who's since been waived, oh. and Miami's unprotected 2021 first-round draft pick. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Desire, so that's next year. Zaire Smith, who's not even in the league, is he? Oh, no. wow. That's – oh, my goodness. That's right. Okay. Yeah. You would. I've, you also notice in my fantasy league, I, as soon as I saw Mikhail Bridges, I'm just like, they just passed – Every eye test, I'm like, oh my god, this kid has taken a massive, a massive leap. So, um, mm. yes, good point. And it would have could have saved Philadelphia, you know, four draft picks and 150 million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, mistake number 25 and the unfolding of the process there. But um, well, that's you know, right, and he's count, a guy call. that really has hasn't. I mean, he was he was sort of. NBA ready, where we talked about Halliburton being NBA ready. I mean, this is only his second season now. So Bridges was it was very much could have contributed, albeit not at a major level last year, but I think he's showing this year he's ready to contribute to a team that's in contention for the playoffs. And I think Chris Paul is just the missing piece. Like what a you know, I, I don't know that you you want to take Chris Paul's contract on for every team in the league, but I think there were certain teams where you just go perfect Chris Paul destination and this is certainly one of them and that's how it looks so far uh, because even in the loss to Sacramento I think they've they've played some really good basketball so far from what I've seen indeed absolutely have mm. and just just back you just got me to thinking about it just when we were thinking about Luca and Aiton and Bridges also from that same 2018 draft what us that's turning out to be a really sneaky really good really deep draft as right remember when the entire conversation was around Luca, Luca and Trey, right? That dominated. But you know, you've got Sexton, who looks like he's, you know, as inefficient and as wild as he might be, he's he's looking like a player. Obviously, Trey Young's ascendancy. You got Shea Gildas Alexander, who's doing right. He's on an upward trajectory, and it's going to have an interesting developmental curve now. Basically, running and owning and dominating a team. And what happens with him as they build the franchise around him? We got Mikhail Bridges, obviously Doncic. Um, you've got Aiton who's developing. You've got uh, Landry Shamit who's got a role. You got Triple J, um, you know, in, in uh, Memphis who's got a lot of promise. You got Devonte Graham who's turned into a player. You got Mitchell Robinson who's you know trying to make his way. And then lesser guys, you know, like our uh, you know, Dante DiVincenzo and Lonnie Walker on down the line. It's like shockingly deep. Mm-hmm. Um, shockingly deep draft that that 2018 draft, but uh, um, anyway, I digress. Mm. I'm just thinking about that. Thinking about the other comp to Halliburton is Dante DiVincenzo plays a similar style game, right? That kind of two way player, glue guy, more likely to average 
15, five and five, you know, that he'll ever average, you know, 22 points a game. But uh, anyway, well, let's let's touch on the Bucks, Daz, because they broke an NBA record today. Uh, apparently, not that important for turn two, who cut away from the game altogether. They weren't that interested in it. But <laughs> twenty nine threes, uh, Daz, and I think did how many did De Vincenzo hit? Did he hit five or six or somewhere in that? Yeah, range? He, was, he was four or five or something like that again for sure. Yeah, he's he's found his stroke. There's no other way to say it. He just he hadn't found it the first couple seasons, but he's. Yeah, he's he's found it so far early. early well, and interesting, if, if Giannis had have hit a shot, hit a three, uh, every single player on their roster would have hit a three today. <laughs> that, that's what it looked like, and that's what it felt like. Yeah, Dante is 13 for 19 from downtown through his first four games. And it's, uh, yeah, uh, uh, his, his mechanics are different. There's, they've done something to shorten up his mechanics, and he's not... Um, He's not jumping like he's got a pretty pretty significant right vertical leap, and he's got a massive massive jump shot. And he's actually his jump looks shorter, so it's almost more of a set shot. And it's like a little flick, and it's working. So, so anyway, yeah, the Bucks are off to a, a weird start, but a very kind of ups and downs. But today was <laughs> today was the well. What, the, and and the, the interesting thing about the NBA four. schedule is. They play Miami again tomorrow. So they've beaten them today by 47 points. And now they turn around and play the exact same. Now, is Jimmy Butler out again tomorrow, do you know? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I haven't heard if the day was a rest or if there was a bit of a, a bit of a niggle, uh, some sort of injury. But, um, but yeah, they get this back-to-backs. That's how, you know, Phoenix and Sacramento played back-to-back already. Uh, yeah, it's happening, which is kind of cool. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice wrinkle. Obviously, it helps kind of keep the keep the travel down, but it's it's fun to you know almost like a little mini series. It's great. So yeah, um, yeah. But, well, he's a, the, he was out with an ankle injury today, so um, and and uh, uh, doubtful for tomorrow. Or you know, um, yeah, yeah. That that's what's ruining at the moment. So um, it could be another. Well, you'd be hoping for the Bucks an over repeat performance, an encore performance. Well, the Bucks played. Defense today, they you know like a lot of NBA teams. You know, we saw the Clippers lost by what, seventy-seven to twenty-seven. Days if that maybe should have been the top Livingston moment where it was a fifty-point <laughs> game at halftime. That's the half. That's no seventy-seven twenty-seven at the half. <laughs> that actually happened. Oh no, I thought I was seeing things because it was a, it was an early morning game here, and I got up fully expecting to watch. Clippers, uh, Mavs. I thought I watched the second half of this, and looked, and I just had to do a double take. Of is that say seventy-seven to twenty-seven? So well, I did the same thing. I didn't. I didn't turn that. it on. I go, oh, it was like sixteen to three, and I'm like, oh, that could be fun. Like I didn't turn it on until it was like, you know, it was already double digits after five minutes or something. Like, yeah, you, you never know, right? If it turns into it, and sure enough, you know, most <laughs> NBA games would be it'll be ni- tied at nineteen after three more minutes, right? The pendulum swings back, but nope, it kept going and kept going and it never corrected itself. That was pretty funny. But uh, so the Bucks had one of those days today where they came out, uh, they they created three turnovers in the first four Miami possessions. They hit their first three three pointers and it was literally 12 to nothing after like 80 seconds. And that was kind of the game. Um, note to self Tyler Hero, not a point guard. Like his turnover rates, like 30% or something this season. So they, for whatever reason, they weren't starting Kendrick Nunn. They weren't starting Goran Dragic. They started Tyler Hero and he got absolutely jumped. Like Drew Holiday must've been salivating. And it was, so just one of those days, right? Everything worked for Milwaukee. Nothing worked for Miami. There's no takeaways other than, I think this is the NBA season. We're going to have, Teams who are resting and COVIDing, and other teams who've got their own agenda, and you're going to have days like today. But um, but yeah, they also happen to make 29 three pointers, which beat the all time record by at least two or three. I think well, the Rockets. It, yeah, it is going to be interesting to see. There's a lot of teams I see punting games away early in the season, and yep. given how competitive. The West is, and I think the East is actually looking a bit more competitive this year as well, which is something that we spoke about in, in the first episode. 
I wonder how much this is going to come back and bite teams uh, at the end of the season if you're either going for the players themselves or going for seedings. And I think, I mean, the Western's Conference is going to be a bloodbath. Like we talked about Sacramento look really good. Phoenix looked really good early. The Spurs looked good early. There's three teams that weren't in the playoffs last year. Um, you know, Portland have, have been sort of a bit hit and miss early, but you expect they're going to be good. Dallas will find their feet. Like, you just sort of go right through that conference. And with the exception of Minnesota and OKC down the bottom, and Minnesota already hit with injuries with Carl Anthony Towns going down, um, there's there's no teams you sort of look at and at this stage want to go, well, they're, they're not going to be making the playoffs. Um, I think Houston's going to be really good when they get all their players back and if, if James Harden buys in. So I'm I'm really fascinated, actually, that, that given the shorter season, there's so many teams, it seems, early on, willing to just punt games and go way down double digits early. Let's just put the queue in the rack sort of thing. And, I mean, have you seen that as well? Has it surprised you For the sure. amount of blowouts we've seen early? Yeah, I've seen it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, I don't, I think, I don't think it requires a lot of – I don't think it's complicated, right? 72-game season condensed in whatever it is, 146 days. Like, it is unprecedented the numbers of, you know, in an era, right, before COVID hit and the era of rest and all the injury, you know, load management and all the analytics around, you know, the correlations between minutes played and how the minutes are distributed and injury rates, all that hypersensitivity that we've had around that. Right? We've had that era and then we whiplash the opposite direction, Daz, and say, eh, well, go play 72 games in uh, 146 days in a global pandemic. Off you go. Right, it's a it's a it's a it's a significant significant ask, and so uh, this would be the one year where I'm not going to have, I'm not going to say one thing about teams resting. Right, and again, that we also don't talk about nearly enough, well, mostly because we don't have any data about it, is just the mental health of these guys, um, going through the testing regimens every single day, and um, you know, and the travel. So extreme travel again, and this weirdness with, you know, you talk about kind of playing for seedings. Yeah, I can see playing, not playing for seedings. It's now how much, uh, you know, how much will they be trying to jockey for uh, matchups? Because one has to wonder how big of a deal is home court advantage when you don't have fans, right? Like when the energy level in the building is just, bubble level energy it just happens to be you know your colors and your lighting and in your court so i don't know if home court again it always probably helps to reduce travel and maybe little things like sleep in your own bed i suppose but i i don't know Daz. don't you think that home court actually is kind of probably take a back seat to just kind of keeping your guys and having a really close pulse of your team's mental and physical well-being this year is probably what i'm sensing so well, that's, that's, really that's assuming of, yeah. that's assuming we not we don't have crowds uh, by the by the time the playoffs roll around, uh, which you know, given the yeah. state that the United States is in with COVID at the moment, is probably a fair assumption. Yeah. Um, at this stage, I think clearly you're just going to be the only term you're going to want to avoid in the playoffs would be the Lakers in the West, and um, I don't know that there's anyone in the East that you'd really be saying let's try and definitely avoid that that team at the moment i think as the season goes on maybe somewhat something will become clearer in that sense as to who you want to face and who you might not want to face um but i think it's more i'm interested in some of these teams i guess that are digging themselves a bit of an early hole and it's going to become a point with denver for example where you go you're not going to be able to have too many more one and three stretches of basketball if you want to make the playoffs in the west like they might find themselves on the outside looking in if they continue to, and there hasn't been a really tough schedule for them. Like that, they would have penciled in two wins out of two against the Kings, for example, uh, starting off the season. So, uh, and even the Nets, you know, they started two and eight, they're now back to two and two. So, I'm I'm interested to see just how much these, how long these teams are going to sort of let these little runs last when they're not playing their best basketball. Um, and how much, when we look back on the season at the end of the season, how much we sit back and go, gee, they're going to regret 
you know, losing to the Cavs on this night or, you know, the Nets sort of blowing a game against the Hornets in game three. They don't feel like that. It doesn't feel that significant now in, in week one of the season. But when, you, when you're going for the playoffs at the end of the year, it can, it can make a big difference. I think what you're going to see is more teams treating games the way Greg Popovich treated games was, I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care what the league says in terms of fines. These are the things I need to work on with my team tonight, and I'm going to do it. That's what I'm already, but that's what I'm seeing. Mm. As I say, the Bucks had um, uh, an intense and bizarre way to lose a game against Boston, and then they didn't play any defense for two games. And so what I saw today was they came out and you could just see it. They decided they were going to give effort on defense. And that's what it was. They, they were jumping, passing lanes, denying up top, da-da-da-da-da. I go, that was the Bucks thing today. It didn't matter Jimmy Butler played or didn't play. It didn't matter who was in Miami's lineup today and what it was game four, game 44, is they needed to put a complete game together where their defense triggers the offense. So I go, that's what I think you're going to see teams do where, you know, LeBron's going to need to sit. We need to see games when AD and Schroeder, you know, uh, dominate the ball and dominate possessions. They're going to need to see games like Miami. What can Tyler Hero actually carry us? Like, can we, can we let him play point guard? So no doubt Spool was tinkering with something today, not starting a point guard. So that's what I think you're going to see, right, is the more focus on just getting the work in, almost pre-season-y, because the regular season, these are 72 games, like 72 games of preseason before the real NBA starts, right, Daz? So, um, so that's what I think I'm seeing in addition to the fact, right, no doubt that there's some of these teams um, perhaps going to need more uh, more rest than others, the Denver's, the Miami's, the Milwaukee's, the the LA is the teams who were, you know, in the bubble and got, you know, second, second round or the finals. I think you're going to perhaps see those teams play one way and perhaps the teams like, you know, the Cleveland's and Minnesota's and, and the teams digging themselves a hole, like the wizards, sorry, the wizards and the pistons, the teams who didn't play in the bubble are going to mm-hmm. be playing very, very differently. Like they need to see their guys going, you know, going gangbusters and trying to put, you know, just to re reestablish some habits. So, um, well, if the pop- playing if if the playoffs started today, the uh, Bucks would be playing against the Celtics, and the Hornets would be against the Knicks in the playing tournament. <laughs> oh, the Bucks would be in the, the lottery. Easter I conference. thought. Will they even make the? They they're in the ninth. They're in ninth position at the moment. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah, they're the playing game. They've been a playing so. Yeah. But uh, look, have you? Let's look at the top of the top of the teams have started well. That does um, the Magic and the Hawks are four and zero and three and zero respectively. So one thing I'll say about the Magic is we we talked last week about teams that are going to turn up every week and and give effort in the regular season. This is one team that's going to turn up and put in a professional performance for seventy two games. Like they're not going to win the title. They're probably not even going to win a playoff series. But they if you don't turn up to play against the Magic, you're likely going to leave with a loss. And that's what I've seen so far. And we've seen some some signs early from Markel Fultz that there may actually be a pretty reasonable NBA player in there. Even today, his shot wasn't working, but he had 10 assists and no no turnovers uh, in their latest win, uh, which was over uh, over the Wizards. Okay, oh, sorry, OKC. Okay, I knew it was one yeah. of the bottom terms. Yeah, so, and then they came from 17 down to beat uh, the Wizards. Uh, and Mark Elfort had 26 points in that game, so probably the best game of his NBA career thus far. Have you caught any of the Magic or the Hawks, the undefeated teams uh, in the Eastern Conferences yet? Only small bits, only small bits. Um, but I, but I would say that right, the, you know, Nikola Vucevic is really good at, at professional basketball, and so he's he's a really strong floor raiser kind of a guy. And then you get you know similar kind of you know exactly what you're going to get from. Evan Fournier every single night, which is, you know, exactly what you get. And um, I'm pretty sure Terrence Ross is still getting up, you know, 67 shot attempts per, you know, per 100 possessions or whatever it is. So you know exactly what you're going to get with Orlando and obviously Steve Clifford team 
you know, they're, they're not going to take nights off on the defensive end. So it doesn't surprise me that they've had a kind of a soft schedule, but, you know, have made, have made the most of it. Only had glimpses and similarly had glimpses only. Uh, I saw the game where Capella came back for the first time. Again, one of my duos I'm looking out for, and he's got a little bit of spring back in his step and I saw one alley-oop from Trey, um, but I have not seen, it's going to take me a while to be comfortable watching um, Bogdan Bogdanovich go, you know, 18, eight and eight, like he did the other night in Atlanta. That's still going to, it's going to take me a while <laughs> to um, watch him fill the biggest void in the Bucks roster in Atlanta. But um, yeah, I think more than anything in Atlanta is, I think we know exactly who Bogdan is and, and Gallo's dealing with a bit of an injury, but that conversation is all about two things. Well, obviously Trey, Trey looks like a future scoring title champion and sneaky development, right? Like DeAndre Hunter, I think under the radar, he might be turning into an NBA player, Daz. <clears throat> Another guy who didn't make the bubble, had seven, eight months to work on his game. He's passing the eye test for me in the same way Bridges is passing the eye test out in Phoenix. So that for me is less about the game and the style and, so I can't really comment about how Atlanta's winning games, but I've seen some individual performances that that jumped out. And it's nice to see Hunter, you know, kind of get that that monkey off his back from being, you know, perceived as quite a bust. Well, Nathan Knight was another guy, undrafted guy, uh, that came out the other night and, and was putting up numbers uh, and, and looking like an NBA-level player. So they've just been throwing guys out there at the moment because they've got no, they had no Gallinari. Capella's only just played his first game. Chris Dunn hasn't taken the court yet. Uh, Rajon Rondo hasn't taken the court yet. Like they, they've got a lot of guys that they're going to find minutes for, and I just hope it doesn't stunt the development of some of those young kids uh, as, as they're coming through um, this season. But they yeah. certainly, they, they've set themselves the, the goal of making the playoffs. They certainly have got off to the right start in that sense. Uh, and I think the Magic, you'd imagine they're going to be in the same sort of position they were in last year, sort of that six through eight, um, that six through eight range. Um, of of the Eastern Conference pitcher. What about the and now the Nets? They have lost their last two games. There's one of those a bit, a bit of an asterisk against it because of the Memphis uh, game where they rested both Kyrie and KD. But by due, they were impressive those first two games. There's particularly Christmas Day was a bit of a wash. All the games were a blowout. But by due, what they did to the Celtics on uh, Christmas Day that made me sit up and take notice. As particularly defense and offense doing it on both sides of the ball. Oh, yeah. Again, if Spencer Dinwiddie hadn't gone down with an ACL, which could be a non-insignificant loss for that team, that, that certainly loses some of their versatility and a critical trade chip for them. But they, my goodness, Kevin Durant looked 80% Kevin Durant. And I and and good. Like, he's not, doesn't have that full spring in his step, but he looks good and smart and decisive and comfortable. And you could just see the Steve Nash fingerprints over this offense, which is a lot of motion, a lot of back cuts, uh, a lot of ball movement. It's just, again, with two unique historic talents like Kevin Durant and Kyrie, the offense is poetic when it's working. And they just dis- they dismantled Boston, like who prides itself right on its having a pretty strong defensive floor. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a dismantling, it, absolutely dismantling Kyrie back cuts and Katie in the high post and uh, Karis Levert's off to a bit of an efficient start, but when you got a guy like him, you can go off for 25 you know, points any night as a six man and Deandre Jordan, right? We've all been hating on Deandre Jordan, largely rightly so, but man, he looks like, he, look, he looks like he's back as well as with, you know, feeling comfortable, feeling motivated, has a clear role, maybe it's some physicality, but he looks like a player. And then got Jared Allen. It's just to get on and on and on. Offense is beautiful. Effort level is high. They're 10, 11, 12 deep. Joe Harris, I don't think, has missed a shot yet this <laughs> season, what it feels like. Um, it's going to be open looks all over the court. But Dinwiddie, that's a big one. That, that really hurts, right? That's a big... Um, kind of a big oh, subtraction. Look, I, I don't know that so much. I mean, I think, I, I don't think they were going to win the title off the back of whatever sense of him was going to do. I mean, I think it's, 
I think it's worse for him personally, to be honest, than I think it is for them as a team. I think he's a little bit expendable. Um, well, it remains to be seen whether that's the way it plays out, but I'm not sure that losing him when he's the end of the world for this team or, or hurts their yeah. ceiling or floor. It maybe sort of lowers their floor a little bit if they get another injury now, but I still think their ceiling was not really tied to what uh, what Spencer Dimwitty well, was going to get. That's fair. Look, I don't mean to overstress it, but he, you know, he's a he's a leader in the locker room, and I guess what it is he takes one of the one of the weapons away in their Swiss Army knife attack, right? It's just, he's a really versatile on ball, off ball. He can play with Kyrie together. He can let Kyrie rest if Kyrie needs needs a day or a week off, or Kyrie has an injury. He's a he's a plug and play. So that that's all I mean. It's a, it's just you know it's a it's non insignificant. Look, it's not going to change our title hopes, but it's not insignificant. I guess I'll, I'll say that. Well, um, I, and watching that Christmas Day game, I mean, you just there's a few teams that you watch over the years of basketball, and you think you cannot defend that. You cannot defend what they're doing at the moment. And then they went to a, a shot of the um, the Nets bench at one stage, and you've got Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, and Ray Allen sitting there. You've got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving on the floor already, like. Some of the great offensive basketball minds that we've seen in this game, putting there, and I think you're probably going to find the way that they're treating it there in in Brooklyn this year is it's going to be a bit of a um, a, a democracy in in the sense where I, I think one you know Dan Tane is going to have ideas, Ray Allen's going to have ideas, and, that's, and everyone's ideas are going to have sort of equal merit, and they're going to come up with this sort of offensive scheme that you're seeing. Um, that's going to be very, very hard to stop, particularly if, if Kevin Durant gets back to his best. Um, and he, the way he's looked in the first few games, there's no reason to think that won't happen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just, you just hope he be managing his load. Obviously, we saw what happened when he came back and had the devastating injury in that, in that finals against Toronto. You just, you just hope and pray and fingers crossed and whatever that... You know they all know how to manage his his effort and his load level, because uh, that's that's the whole season hinges on him, right? Hundred percent. But but you're right. I mean, it's just the, to your point about not being able to defend it. You've got you can play above the rim, you know, uh, with DeAndre and Jared Allen who can, you know, uh, crash the offensive boards and and catch lobs and do back cuts and be dive men. Then you've got elite elite shooting like Joe Harris and um, Kyrie and don't look now, but the kid called, you know, TLC, Timothy Luau Camaro, right? Sneakily shot 39% from three last year and is off to another hot start shooting 44% from three over this first few games. It's another just knockdown shooter. And of course, what Kevin, what can't Kevin Durant do? And if you need to sit Durant, you put the ball in, you know, Kyrie's hands and, and let him go to work and, and there he is again, popping up everywhere. The NBA whack-a-mole himself, Jeff Green. I don't know how, to, I don't know how he landed <laughs> on the Brooklyn Nets, but he did. You know, it's his, you know, 35th NBA team in 35 seasons. But um, you know, again, Jeff, Jeff Green making freaking contributions as he always does somehow. Mm. So yeah, a lot to a lot to like about that team's depth, and they they will figure things out, won't they? So all about health. Uh, tip of the hat, God bless you, yeah, Spencer. Hope you get a recovery. But um, yeah, I don't think that's going to slow down this this train. No. Now another thing that I loved, we got me jumping in my seat as uh, this week. You know I love when two bad teams are in a close game, and we saw a classic game between the Pistons and the Cavs. The Cavs are three and one, but uh, that's a bit of a false three and one. I'll give you the tip after seeing this game. Uh, the now, Did you catch it in this, Daz, the double overtime classic that was uh, the Detroit Pistons versus the Cleveland Cavaliers? Um, no. I, <laughs> no. I, uh, no. I've, uh... The Pistons had an eight-point lead with under a minute to go, <laughs> and somehow it ends up in overtime. They then built a nine-point lead in overtime, and Cleveland went on, I think, a 16-0 run through the end of overtime and double overtime. And the the classic moment for me was 
when the Pistons commentators are looking for something to sort of hang on to and they said, oh, this is a good learning experience for our young team. And you look at the team they've got on the court and it's Blake Griffin, Derek Rose, Miles Plumley, uh, Jeremy Grant and some white Euro guy that I'd never heard of before. And I'm thinking, this is not a young team. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what's Blake Griffin going to learn about this? You know? He's going to learn was... how to um, keep his job longer than the coach. That's it. I mean, this is like another one of these situations where Dwayne Casey was hired, you know, to run a veteran team, right? Try to get the most out of that squad, as you just said, with, you know, with um, Blake and Reggie Jackson and Derek Rose and et cetera. And now they're going through a rebuild and new general manager and sold off Canard, but and for some reason brought in Miles Plumley or Mason Plumley or Marshall Plumley or oh, Marsha Plumley or Mickey Plumley. I don't know. One, one of the Plumleys or is it a Zeller? I get them all mixed up and bring in all these centers and it, it makes no sense whatsoever. So job, hardest job in the NBA. Number one is Dwayne Casey boss who didn't hire him a roster. That makes no sense. No young talent. Like, this is the same team that just gave up. Talk about the Bucks regretting giving up Christian Wood. <sighs> Detroit mm. let him go. And with that money, signed Mason Plumley and, mm. and Jalil Okafor as. And you're just like, what? Who's making these decisions? So, no, I didn't watch it, um, but I perhaps now will watch it for its train wreck effect. <laughs> so, the Cliff Livingston yeah. like. Maybe Cliff would have been cheering for Sexland. That's the new thing, Daz. Sexland, because I apparently. Well, I'll say this. I mean, the 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 Cavs are like Sexton's a baller. He's going to go out there and try and win every game, and probably believe he can win every game. Uh, and they never lost belief, even when they were down in both in both those situations. But uh, yeah, when they were three and zero, you asked me uh, if I caught any of the Cavs, and is it for real? I said no. He's most yeah. definitely not for real. Uh, they did beat the Sixers, and I think everyone sort of raised their eyebrows and looked at the box score and went, oh, and B didn't play, and Drummond just feasted and boosted. Though Drummond started well, to be fair. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think the fact that they lost the Knicks today um, probably shows that uh, the downward slope is coming on their season. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, look, Daz, let's look forward to the week uh, ahead of us, and, and there's some interesting games coming up um, tomorrow in particular. You've got Nets Hawks tomorrow, Spurs Lakers will be a fun game. The Spurs playing at a ridiculously fast pace. Uh, Spurs fans don't really know what to, what to make of this team so far um, after so many years of playing through the post, etc. Uh, Heat Bucks, the rematch, which we spoke about earlier. Uh, you've got Celtics Grizzlies tomorrow, which could be an interesting game. And then even Rockets Kings. Uh, on New Year's Day over here, and Jazz Suns uh, is one to look forward to. But what, what's mm. caught your eye looking ahead? Is there any particular games you've got on the radar for the next week? Well, I want to check out um, Portland Clippers. I, again, Portland had a really nice victory after a rough kind of early start, a really nice victory in L.A. over the Lakers, over a fully healthy Lakers team yesterday. Now, was the Lakers team going full bore? You know, we can question that, but... This is Lovington experience. We'll focus on the positive. And so I, I'm, I'm interested to see two teams who've had, again, up and down starts, you know, Blazers, um, Blazers, Clippers tomorrow. And then um, I think, yeah, I think you already said it, but I'm, I'm interested in what goes on the Phoenix and Phoenix and Utah. And Utah mm. had a really nice W uh, the other night. Was that in Denver? Who did Utah in Portland? Gosh, I'm already forgetting, but it was nice to see Utah get on track and, Man, well, they beat the Thunder on a last-second shot from Donovan Mitchell. Uh, what was their other win, though? They beat, uh, they lost to the Timberwolves, and that sort of had everyone raising their eyebrows, and they beat the Trailblazers, so that's been their I see, yeah, Portland. So I saw them beat Portland. Portland yeah. yeah, that's the one I saw. Um, that was the, the blowout, I think, early in the season of that first first game. Anyway, Utah, again, last time we saw them was in, in the bubble, minus um, Boyan. And his his presence just completely changed that team. And so I, I've liked what I've seen from Utah um, early in the season. And, and again, like you talked about the way we like the construction of the Phoenix team, the Utah roster just makes a lot of sense, Daz. It just 
it all kind of fits. Um, and just again, very, very early eye test only. Uh, Royce O'Neill and Joe Ingles look a little bit, a little bit more spry than last time we saw them as well. So whether that was some bubble stuff or, or whatever, but they, they're going to desperately need Royce O'Neill and Ingles to, to perform. So I'm keeping an eye on Utah. And again, you know, my love for, for Chris Paul. And um, so that Phoenix, Utah, that's my, the other one I'm looking forward to. I think that's, yeah, yeah, I that's, think Net Hawks is the one I'm I'm penciling in tomorrow. That's that one. we spoke about the both those teams, the Hawks looking to go four yeah. and zero, uh, and the Nets will be back to full strength. Uh, I'm assuming tomorrow. So that's going to be one that uh, an Eastern Conference battle. That's uh, probably one worth looking out for. I think just on the Jazz though, I, I what I've seen of them so far, I still think there's too many stretches in games where they really struggle to score and it's sort of just everyone standing around hoping that uh, Donovan Mitchell can pull something out of his backside. Um, so uh, that's something to watch and that's where I think Bogdanovich can make a bit of a difference and even Mike Conley if we see better basketball out of him um, this season. Um, that's a great point. I should have mentioned that. Conley looks Conley kind of looks like old Mike Conley does. Again, only tiny sample set here but we're we're dealing with the data we have and he looks really good. You know, his, his three point shot looks a lot more effortless. He's, he's taken a lot of them as well. So his confidence seems to be back and playing 32 minutes a night again. So that's, that's a big factor for them. So um, he's looked pretty good again, early, early, early eye tests. He's looked, he's looked good. So mm. um, yeah, good catch. And just a couple of teams that watch at the bottom end, the Raptors are started that one through. They need to get a, a move Ooh. on if they're going to make the finals. And the Wizards, who were, I, I saw the head in that middle of the Eastern Conference, they yeah. started that one four, including a horrible loss to the Bulls today. So Scott Brooks um, really on the hot seat. They play the Bulls again on New Year's Day. Um, I haven't caught really much of the, the Wizards, to be honest. They haven't been in any competitive games yet. So there's not been much. I think their first game mm. was, was close. But outside of that, uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's not been not been a smooth sailing at all for the early Russell Westbrook uh, no. returns in Washington. No, no. Yeah, I saw them play, you know, two good quarters of basketball against Philly and then just collapse in the fourth quarter behind the power of, you know, a whole, a whole bunch of bad decision-making and surprise, surprise. <laughs> but yeah, I did too. I think we all universally thought, right? Just about universally thought, how, how holy cow, I didn't know you could win, you know, um, to win the John Wall trade, right? Is, is pretty good, pretty impressive, not just by addition, by subtraction, but mm. Russ has not looked good in terms of his efficiency. Surprise, surprise. And uh, something's going on. Something's not right in Toronto either. Like, I, like that, that team is basically the same exact team. Obviously, they changed over Ibaka and Gasol, but you know, I, I'm not liking what I'm seeing from Siakam. But he's taking, he's just, yeah. There's, I wonder if oh, Ananobi's kind of going to pass him up. And Norm Powell looks a bit out of shape, and Baines looks a bit, looks a little bit old, and Lowry looks a little bit old. So I, I wonder if that's a kind of a I don't say end of an era, but if you, you lose a Baines and a Lowry after this season, you're starting center in your point guard. I mean, this is the Kyle's last year. Yeah, well, they've um, played in spurts in the games that they've played so far. Like they, they had a couple of good moments in the Spurs game and actually it looked like they were home in that game late. They were up four with a minute to go and um, the Spurs finished strong. And then they were up a, a reasonable amount against uh, the Pelicans as well. And the Pelicans came back and, and knocked them over. So maybe it's just a matter of sustaining their play for a bit longer. Chris yeah. Boucher has actually played at some decent basketball to show them something off the bench, uh, which they would have been hoping for the, with the loss of Gasol and the Barker. Yeah. There. But I agree, Siakam not playing at the level that mm-hmm. they need to play at. Um, yeah, not, and that's not to say he's been playing terrible, but they need him to play the real all-star at all, all NBA level if they're going to push into the, the playoffs. And he was at the start of last year um, and hasn't been at the start of this year. And I think that's really been a difference, um, as well as, you know, Larry and FVV finding their feet so far as well um, yeah. through the season. So, all right, Daz, well, look, wait, we might leave it there. We'll uh, plenty plenty to look forward to for the next week. Um, no doubt some, some more Livingston May moments to come uh, but we'll see uh, where we end up in a week's time okay buddy
All right. Thanks, mate. Have a good new year. Cheers, pal. Took the charge, and there was no foul call.